Welcome to Be The Best You. I'm your host, Luke Briggs. Today, we've got a treat for you, as we've got an interview with celebrity dentist, Dr. Bill Dorfman. While he's arguably the most well-known dentist in the world, and is responsible for the smiles of many of Hollywood stars, like Mark Wahlberg, Usher, and Katy Perry, he's done so much more in his life. Dr. Bill is also a TV star, New York Times best-selling author, philanthropist, inventor, Guinness World Record holder, and much more. In this episode, he shares stories from his career he calls life-defining moments, when he did things most others wouldn't be willing to do to get ahead. Dr. Bill has a legendary work ethic, and he says he never fails. That's because he always tries until he gets something right. No matter where you are in life, you're going to get something out of this episode. And if you get any value out of this episode, please, please, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review so we can reach more people. Now sit back and enjoy this episode with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Today we've got celebrity dentist Dr. Bill Dorfman on the podcast. Dr. Bill is one of the most well-known dentists in the world, and he's responsible for creating smiles for many of Hollywood's most famous stars, including Hugh Jackman, Michael Strahan, Ozzy Osbourne, Eva Longoria, Katy Perry, Usher, Mark Wahlberg, and many others. He's also been the featured dentist on ABC's Extreme Makeover and is a regular guest co-host on CBS's Emmy-winning daytime talk show, The Doctors. Dr. Bill is a world-renowned lecturer and New York Times best-selling author for his book, Billion Dollar Smile, A Complete Guide to Your Extreme Smile Makeover. He's been featured on a number of other highly acclaimed shows, including Oprah, Larry King Live, Dr. Phil, The View, ABC's Good Morning America, NBC's The Today Show, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and Entertainment Tonight. Dr. Bill is the inventor of Zoom Whitening and a fellow in the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. Dr. Bill is also a major philanthropist. In fact, 100% of proceeds from his New York Times bestseller were donated to children's charities. He's also built a dental clinic in the Dominican Republic. He's also helped raise more than $40 million for Smiles for Life and done a number of other things. Uh, I know he's most proud of the Leap Foundation, a nonprofit organization he founded in 2008 dedicated to building the next generation of leaders a week-long event each summer on the campus of UCLA. And if that's not enough, Dr. Bill holds two Guinness World Records and was knighted in 2018 by the Royal Order of Constantine. He may also be the fittest-looking 61-year-old you'll ever see. In fact, just showed me. Um, he was just on the cover or it featured in GQ magazine. Uh, Dr. Bill, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, like I said, Dr. Bill, truly an honor to have you here, and I definitely want to get more into your story of how you built your success and the amazing things you've done, but I always like to start from the beginning because it gives context um, to be able to better relate to you. So what were things like for you as a child growing up, and where did you grow up? Uh, well, I grew up in Granada Hills, California. It's in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, we were a pretty modest to low-income area where I lived. 
we, I, I grew up in a family with five kids and um, I shared a room with three brothers and we had a sister as well. And, you know, I, I remember even as a little kid, I was a weird kid. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't know, maybe all kids feel weird, but I truly was weird. You know, I, I'll never forget. My parents joke about this, but the first day of kindergarten, I went to school, I come home, I sit down. We always had like family dinners. and My mom and dad said, so Bill, how was school? I said, you know, the kids in my class are so immature. I was five. And like, I never really felt like I fit in. I mean, it wasn't like I was an outcast. I was kind of pretty much friendly with everybody, but I, I never really had like a group, you know, like, like, like the little clicks that you have in school. I was just like a free agent. I just kind of was just friends with everybody. The weird thing is though, in grammar school, in junior high, in high school, and then even at college, every time, and dental school, every time they would do like those funny awards, you know, where, you know, they, they would, you know, pick like, you know, best looking or best, I always got most likely to succeed, which is really weird, like in grammar school even. And I don't even know where that came from, but for some reason, I like, people always voted for me for that. And I don't even know why, but it was kind of a funny thing. (laughs) Love it. So even from an early age, like you said, uh, you know, kind of were predicted for success. So, you know, like you said, kind of a, a self-proclaimed weird kid growing up. So how did you decide like growing up that you wanted to go into dentistry? I had an accident when I was a little kid and I fell and I hit my deciduous, my baby teeth so hard that instead of knocking them out, like most kids would do when they fall, I did something special. <laughs> I hit them so hard that they went back up into the gums and had to be surgically removed. So I had to have multiple surgeries to make sure that my my permanent teeth would grow in normal and healthy. And I I guess, again, most normal kids would have been freaked out by this whole experience and, you know, like had (laughs) PTSD or something. But I like was really enamored with the whole idea of like helping people and fixing people. And and so I just really latched onto this and thought, this is such a great thing. Like I want to do this when I grow up and help people. And I was never scared. I was really fascinated by it. And even as a little kid, I started spending more and more time in the dental office, observing and watching and trying to to understand it. You know, as a four-year-old, when people say, what are you going to be when you grow up? I said, a dentist. And, like, that's weird, you know. Really? (laughs) Even when I was playing Army with my friends, you know, I was the medic, you know. They were all shooting people. I was fixing the people. So I I was a really bizarre, weird kid. (laughs) Love it, love it. So you decided you wanted to be a dentist um, after after that incident. So... You know, what were things like as you, you got into college and, and in your, your college years? 
deciding that I was going to be a dentist was really kind of a, a blessing in disguise because I had a very clear path. You know, a lot of people meander all over the place, but it's like, okay, this is what you need to do for dental school, you know? And, and so uh, in a way it was really fortunate for me. And, you know, I, I just went down that path and it's weird because dentistry was a springboard for everything else that happened in my life. New York times bestseller from dentistry, billion dollar smile, you know, my career on TV from dentistry, you know, fitness. I mean, when I was in dental school, I started having all kinds of like back pain and neck pain. Dentistry is a very physically challenging and strenuous career. And so as a result, I started going to the gym because it made me feel better. And I realized that if I didn't work out and really stay fit, I couldn't do dentistry. And, you know, and so we were talking about this, but it was really funny because right when, when COVID came, um, you know, my publicist pitched me for a story with GQ Magazine. So I got featured, I don't know if the angle's good, but anyhow, I got featured in GQ Magazine. I think I'm the oldest guy ever featured in a fitness uh, related article, but they did a whole thing on being fit over 60. So uh, if you're, you're listening to, if you're listening and not seeing this, he's holding up an iPad where he's, he's showing the pic shirtless pictures of him um, in GQ magazine. It's uh, very fit looking. There you go. Well, you can look up. It was actually G GQ in the, in the UK. So um, it, you can Google it or whatever, but. All right. Love it. So you knew, like you said, a lot of people don't really know what they want to do when they get to college. You knew dentistry is what I want to focus on. So, um, you know, what were things like for you in college? And then as you got past college as well, you know, how you start, how you got started in your career? Well, UCLA was not easy for me. Um, I really, I, I had a really tough go at the beginning. Uh, I came from a high school. My brothers and I are all a year apart. So I came from a high school where I knew everybody, you know, or everybody knew me. I mean, they might not have known I was Bill Dorfman, but I was, you know, Gary's brother, or David's brother, or Brian, you know. So, I, like, I felt like I was at home, you know, and my brothers were there. And, and you know, and it was a big high school. Uh, but then I go to UCLA with 30,000 students, and I knew nobody, like three people from my high school. And I, you know, I was used to getting straight A's. And, you know, my first quarter at UCLA, I, I didn't do that well. And, um, you know, I, I really, it was the first time in my life I really, you know, kind of doubted, like, can I really be a dentist, you know? Um, I, I took three classes. I, I took uh, chemistry. I took a, a, an English class. And, um, and, and I took a, you know, like some introductory physics class or something and you know it, it, it didn't it didn't go well and I remember I took my very first chem test and the teacher said anybody who gets below a 75 should drop out you know of the class because you're probably going to fail it and I got like a 74 and I was literally devastated I mean when I, you gotta understand like when I got to college 
all I did was study. I had no social life. I had no friends. I, I literally studied every waking hour. And I'm like, how can this be happening? You know? So I, I, I called uh, and made an appointment to go see this professor. And, you know, it, the first thing he said was, look, you know, medicine isn't for everybody. And maybe this isn't your calling. I'm like, no, you understand. Like, this is my calling. You know, I need to be a dentist. And he was kind enough to look at my, my tests. And, you know, he, he kind of found like two or three. They hand graded everything in those days. So he found like two or three things. So I ended up with like a 76, which is still like a D. <laughs> but, um, but I stuck with it. Um, funny anecdote. This was Professor Russell Hardwick. He wrote the book, Chem One. When I opened my dental practice, Dr. Hardwick and his wife, Pat, were two of my first patients, and they still come to me. Russell Hardwick is now 98 years old, and his wife, Pat, is about the same age. They've been my patients since the day I opened my practice. But, you know, I managed to pass chemistry. Um, I got a, a, a B, a C, and a pass that first quarter. And I really hunkered down and approached my second quarter with a whole different attitude. Um, I joined a few clubs. I went through fraternity rush. I, I really kind of branched out and didn't study all the time purposely. And I ended up getting, you know, three A's and a B. And from then on, I, I never got another C in, at UCLA until I took organic chemistry one summer and I had mono right in the middle, which was a disaster. But, but other than that, like I, I figured out how to do it. And I think, you know, one of the things that successful people find early on is that successful people are willing to do the things that unsuccessful people are not willing to do. And I did what I needed to do to, 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 to master it. And, it, you know, it took a lot of hard work. Kids come up to me, I, I, you know, you mentioned my LEAP program, and they would say, Dr. Bill, Dr. Bill, like, what's the secret of success? I'm like, secret? It's not a secret. Work your butt off. <laughs> you know, that's the secret. The secret, and like, they want a pill. Like, oh, no, no, just take this pill and you'll get straight. No, 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 no. Work your butt off. That's the secret. And that's what I did. I don't know anybody who worked harder than I did. You know, there are people that are naturally brilliant and just get straight A's. That's not me. You know, I know I can do it, but I really need to grind to do it. And, you know, but, you know, I did what I needed to do. Love it. And, and I love that story about you going in there and, and, you know, making, you know, allowing, you know, checking in with the professor and then you were able to pass the class because you're like, this is my calling. And there was another moment I know when you got into a program in Switzerland where you did something talking about doing things other people aren't willing to do. Tell that story about how you get into the program at Switzerland. So... I had gone through dental school. I was about to graduate. And, you know, really growing up kind of poor, I had never traveled. I had never seen the world. I had only been on an airplane like two or three times in my life. 
And I thought, you know, the idea of opening up a dental practice and being in an area for the rest of my life without really traveling and seeing the world was not very appealing. So I started doing some research and I found a clinic in Switzerland, which was the only one in a, like, uh, not like in a third world country, but in a like real clinic where you could do real dentistry and not be like in a jungle, right? It was the only place in the world where you could practice with an American license legally. So it turns out there were 400 applicants for one position. So what did I do? Starting my last year of dental school, I had every professor that I felt knew me write a letter of recommendation. How do you get a great letter of recommendation? You write it yourself. I mean, basically, I would approach these doctors and say, look, I want to apply for this program. Could you write me a letter? If it's easier for you, I'll write the letter and you personalize it. Great. I did that. I got no response. So then I started calling the guy. Now, this was back in 1983. Making a long-distance call to Europe was tenuous. It wasn't like today. But I did, you know, and I, I tried to call him like every week or two weeks. And I realized I wasn't going to. One day, I got somewhere. And I call these moments in life, life-defining moments. And sometimes we plan them, sometimes we don't. I didn't plan this. It just happened spontaneously, but it ended up being a jackpot. And basically what I did was when I realized he had zero interest in me and all of my efforts were really kind of unrecognized, I said, his name was Dr. Schreier. I said, Dr. Schreier, can I take you to lunch? And he's like, you're in San Francisco. I said, I know, but I'll fly there. That's how important this is to me. And the joke was, I had no money. Like, I was <laughs> broke ass, poor broke. But he said yes. I figured out a way to borrow some money. I buy an airplane ticket. And I figured, you know, in a worst case scenario, I'll go to Europe. I'll spend a month there. I'll come back and I'll start practicing. In a best case scenario, I'll go to Europe. They'll hire me and I'll stay. Best case scenario. Why? Because out of 400 applicants, guess how many went and took him to lunch? One. That's it. And, you know, that made all the difference in the world. And those are the kinds of things that we teach at LEAP. You know, LEAP is a motivational leadership program for high school and college kids. It's every summer. This year it will be virtual. Uh, it will start July 20th to the 24th. If you want more information, you go to www.leapfoundation.com, L-E-A-P-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N.com, slash 2020. It's a nonprofit I set up where we basically teach young students age 15 to 27 plus skills for success in life. And we get amazing speakers, Mark Wahlberg, Anthony Hopkins, Michael Strahan, Apollo Ono. Um, Jason Phelps, the youngest and best CEO at Virgin um, Films. Um, I mean, we get these amazing speakers that come, our mayor, Eric Garcetti, and actually talk to the kids and tell them what it was that made them successful in life. One of the greatest and fastest ways to success is through a great mentor. And at this program, it culminates on Friday with something called a mentor workshop where students get an opportunity 
to sit at a table, and this year it will be virtual, where you get to talk to mentors who are doctors and lawyers and screenwriters and actors and actresses and, and, and doctor and dentists and, and um, techs and, and I, you know, people in I, I, all kinds of different people. But you really get an opportunity to sit and talk with these people. And it's, it's pretty phenomenal. That is an amazing program. And, and uh, one of the things that I really resonated and loved when I, when I first heard you was when you talk about this LEAP Foundation, um, just the impact that it has on, on kids of our next generation. So um, as long as we're on this, the topic, how did you come up with this idea of LEAP? Well, copy genius. <laughs> so there was a precursor to this program where they would ask me to come every year and speak as a, as a dentist. Uh, you know, also, I mean, I'm not just a dentist, you know, like I invented Zoom. Not video conferencing. I wish I did, but I still invented a, a good Zoom, Zoom tooth whitening. So I, I, I've had a career that's kind of unique even as a dentist. And so I was asked to come every year and speak and share my story. And I love doing it. And I love seeing the impact it made on these young students. Unfortunately, the founder of that program was in his mid eighties and he passed. And I thought, you know, this is too important of a program to die. And so we brought it back as a nonprofit. Uh, this would be our 13th year at UCLA. Unfortunately, you know, it's going to have to be virtual. So it's, it's not going to be in person, but, um, it's, it's been phenomenal. And, um, you know, one of the things we teach at the program is appreciation. Like, where do kids learn that? Nowhere, right? So the, uh, the way that we do this is by giving them these little notes called I appreciate notes. And the students will write a note like, you know, hey, Dr. Bill, I appreciate, you know, um, having Mark Wahlberg come and speak to us. So, you know, things like that. At the end of the program with 400 kids, I got 400 I appreciate notes. 99% of them said something like this. Hey, Dr. Bill, I appreciate you and the LEAP team for making this program. It changed my life. Wow. And I said 99% of the kids said that because 1% of the kids every year will say, hey, Dr. Bill, LEAP saved my life mm. and I know it did I have kids that come into this program with no support with no family with no community and you know this gives them an opportunity to really meet other kids who want to see them succeed who want to see them be the best version of themselves and that doesn't just happen organically a lot of times. We create it. We create it by putting the kids in groups with other kids their age, and we teach them how to all create, you know, that community and that support that's so vital to success and growth and well-being and happiness and everything else. Really love that, that concept, love what LEAP does. I mean, it's just amazing. Like you said, not everything you'll learn in school, like a lot of these things, 
are developed through life and, and you're putting these kids, I think, like you said, seven years ahead in life. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's get back to where we left off on your story. So you had, what did the program in Switzerland? What happens next? What happens next? I stayed there two years. Uh, it was an amazing experience. Um, I, ended up making lifelong friends. I actually have a godson in Switzerland. One of my buddies asked me to be the godfather of his child. Uh, uh, I learned how to speak French. Uh, I am literally not gifted in languages at all. I think the only way I would have learned it is to be immersed in it. And, and so, you know, je parle français, avant je peux pas. Um, I, I, I'm completely fluent in French and that would have never happened. Um, and I learned how to ski, and I learned how to hone my skills as a dentist. Uh, I came back, and I went into an associate position with an older dentist. Uh, the idea was that I was going to take over his practice. Unfortunately, and fortunately, as I got immersed in that, he became more and more excited about practicing dentistry and didn't want to leave. So as a result, he actually helped me set up my own practice, which was a kind of a blessing in disguise. And so I started building my practice. Um, but one of the things I love to share is that when I came to Beverly Hills, the last thing they needed was another cosmetic dentist. So what I did, I found the five most successful cosmetic dental practices. I called them and I asked if I could come in and shadow. And I copied everything that these guys did and tried to do it better. Mm. Another life-defining moment in many ways, huh? In many ways, indeed. Yeah. So modeled success here. So, so what were you doing during these? So you would go in and shadow them. Like, you know, how did you approach them? Like, what did they say? Did you get rejected? Like, like take me through that, that process. I, I think you're pretty non-threatening as a recent graduate. I mean, I had just graduated dental school and I, I basically just said, hey, you know, I just graduated dental school. I want to practice in this area. Can I come in and observe? And it, really nobody ever said no. Um, I mean, you know, I know that's not the case always, but people were pretty receptive. But they did say one thing. Quite frequently, and they said, "You know, you're different than other students that have come in." I go, "What do you mean?" Well, you know, most students would come in, watch them drill, and leave. I didn't do that. I came in. I wanted the whole experience. I came in. I wanted to see how they greeted the patients. I wanted to see the intake forms. I wanted to see how they escorted the patient to the treatment room. How did they present the treatment? How did they discuss finances? How did they get the patient to commit to finances? How did they then do the procedure? And then how did they excuse the payment, the patient, collect the payment, set up the, like I wanted the whole thing, soup to nuts, you know? And, and I took copious notes. I was like a sponge, just trying to soak up as much as I could in there. Amazing. And you, you clearly have like this tremendous work ethic. And like you said, high level of preparation. So how did you develop like, so, and, and this is something that I think a lot of people might not have right now. They might be like, I don't have a great work ethic right now. 
How do I get a better work ethic? How do I work harder? So like, how did you go about developing this type of work ethic? You know, <laughs> I never saw an alternative. You know, it wasn't like I thought, ah, oh, I could work really hard or loaf. Like, that was never a thought. I mean, tell me I'm weird. Like, that, I, like, I never even thought that there was any other way to do this. I had an associate, this is a true story. I had a young guy working for me three days a week. And then I had another guy working two days a week. Well, the guy who was working two days a week decided to relocate and go to Arizona and practice with his brother. So the guy who was working three days a week, I said, hey, I have great news. He goes, what? I said, well, you know, you're working three days a week, but now since my other associate is leaving, I have room you can practice five days a week. What do you think? He's like, I don't know. I go, well, what do you mean you don't know? He goes, well, you know, Monday I come in and I work really hard. Like I kill it. Then Tuesday, you know, I can chill. You know, I spend a little time at the beach and, you know, read a little bit. Wednesday, boom, I'm in there, you know, kill it. Then Thursday, I just, you know, chill and kind of gear up for Friday. And that way, Friday, I can come in and really, like, knock it out of the park. I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah. I, I said, well, I don't get it. Like, you could come in and kill it five days a week. He goes, yeah, but then what if I burn out? I'm like, you're 25. What do you mean burnout? I'm 60, and I, I, like, I just, I don't get that concept at all, at all, you know? Um, I, when I was filming Extreme Makeover, let me tell you what my day looked like. My wife insisted on me being home for dinner. Cool. I woke up at 5 o'clock every morning. I went to the gym. I got my workout in before work. I went to work. I saw patients from eight to five-ish, six, maybe seven, five days a week. Now, how are you gonna film Extreme Makeover when you're that busy? Weekends. Then I would come in on Saturday and Sunday and work 14-hour days mm. on Saturday and Sunday. And then you're telling me you're gonna burn out? Like, and people said, you're crazy. Like, yeah, I was crazy and it's not for everybody, but you know what? I had a mission. When we, when we started Extreme Makeover, I literally stunk. <laughs> like, I mean, if you watch the first two episodes, I'm lucky ABC didn't fire me. That's how bad I was. But I was smart enough to know how bad I was that I decided I'm not going to stink on TV. I took acting classes, hosting classes, teleprompting classes. Like, I wanted to be the best version of me I could be. I hired a media trainer who worked with all the kids on American Idol who literally beat me up and, and taught me how to interview, you know? Well, what happened? Our company had grown and plateaued at 75 million in sales. That first year on Extreme Makeover, we went from 75 to 101. The next year, 130. 
The next year, almost 200 million in sales. Was it worth it? So, you know, again, you do what you gotta do. If there's two things that I can get kids at LEAP to walk away with, it's this. Number one, don't wait for opportunities in life, make them. If I meet another millennial who tells me they're waiting for the universe to do whatever, I'm like, have you looked at the paper lately? <laughs> the universe is kind of busy. And number two, when you get an opportunity, don't take it. Master it. And there's a big difference. When I got put on Extreme Makeover, I stunk. And I knew I stunk. But I also knew it would be a great opportunity for my company if I didn't stink. So I did something about it. You know? And there will be times in your life that you're going to get an opportunity. And my advice to you is don't take it, master it. You know, if it's something that's outside your wheelhouse, expand your wheelhouse. You know, and, I mean, there's people, Cher, uh, every three years, Cher has her retirement tour. She's retired 10 times, right? <laughs> right. Every tour she does, she's reinventing herself and coming out with all new stuff. That works. You know, you can't rest on your laurels. Even if you get to the top of any profession, you're not going to stay there if you don't keep growing, if you don't keep reinventing, if you don't keep doing more. You know, it takes a lot of work. So clearly, like, like you talked about, the work ethic, the will, being willing to do whatever it takes, like – being willing to get better at things, I think, is, is another common one. Because I think a lot of people think, like, I'm not good at something, therefore I just shouldn't do it. And, I mean, there were so many times in your career, whether it was, you know, at one point failing out of the class, like not being good enough um, on Extreme Makeover originally, like applying for the program in Switzerland and not hearing back it, you kept pushing. So how do you teach someone or how can someone – get that ability to just be willing to do whatever it takes? I think it's perception. You know, first of all, I never fail. And I never will fail. And I'm not arrogant. I'm going to explain. If I do something and it doesn't come out the way I want it to, I don't look at that as, oh, I failed. That's practice. Then you do it again. And again, and again, and again, and again, if you need to. Because you really only fail when you quit. So if you're committed to doing something, just don't quit. Right? So I will never fail. If I really want to do something, I'm going to keep at it until I get a successful result. And then, you know, people look and say, oh, gosh, you, you know, you succeed in everything you do. Well, they didn't see the 15 attempts that were practiced. They just see the final one, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I suggest. Don't fail. You can decide right now never to fail in life. Mm. You just keep going. Love it. All right. So you opened up your own practice. I know after you shadowed, so we're kind of scaling back after you shadowed those five dental places. 
So what happens from here and how do you get to inventing Zoom, getting on Extreme Makeover and all these things? First of all, I was really fortunate to have an amazing mentor, um, the late Jeff Golub Evans. He was past president of the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry and just an amazing man. And he took me under his wing and he taught me how to work with a publicist. What's a publicist? I mean, I'm a dentist, right? Well, a publicist helps you get PR. This is way before social media and all this other stuff, you know? And so he explained to me how he grew his practice, and so I did the same thing. So I hired a publicist who started pitching me for articles as a dental educator. And people start looking at you as an educator and teaching different dental procedures and showing different kinds of makeovers and things like that. So I started doing a lot of that. And, you know, I got mentioned right off the bat in L.A. Magazine as the best cosmetic dentist in L.A. Well, in those days, magazines were huge. That converted to hundreds of thousands of dollars in patients walking in my door. So PR was a really big thing. I started advertising. That was a bad word in dentistry before. I mean, people literally shot arrows in my back for doing it. But you know what? I was poor. Like, nobody was supporting me. I was supporting my parents and my grandparents. You know, I needed to make money. And I knew that I could deliver the, the dentistry. So I had no problem advertising. And within a few years, everybody else thought, okay, well, that's not so bad. And then they all started doing it. So I think the best way to define my career was from Oprah. When, when you go on a talk show like The Tonight Show or Ellen or Rosie or any of these shows, the way that it works is you come in and you sit in a room with a producer and that producer will ask you questions for like an hour. On, a whole litany of things. You never know what they're gonna ask. From that, they pick two or three things that they think will relate to their audience. And then when you go shoot your segment live, they're going to ask you those things, right? Oprah doesn't do that. Oprah does enough research that she knows you herself. And she wants your raw, unfiltered answer right there on camera. Oprah says to me, listen, Dr. Bill, you've had a career in dentistry unlike any other dentist in history. What inspires you to think outside the box? Now, this was in like 2004. That wasn't a common phrase yet like think outside the box. Honestly, that was the first time I had ever even heard that. And my honest response to Oprah was, what box? <laughs> and we just laugh. I mean, that literally defines my entire life. It really does. Your biggest limiting factor is you. If you can eliminate that, you can fly so high. I never let people think for me. I think for me. I mean, I listen. You know, I, I'm not in a vacuum. I listen. I'll ask experts. But 
I think for me. I decide for me. You know, I don't let other people decide for me, for, for better or for worse. And I'm not saying I'm always right, but at least when I'm not right, the decision was mine. And I, you know, suffer the consequences for being wrong. But I think that you have to be in a place in your life where you can really make smart decisions that will set you apart and help you excel and exceed. Mm, love that story that you just talked about with Oprah and, and clearly shows why she's successful, why you're successful and, and why so many others are successful. Um, and, you know, speaking of success, you know, in order to be successful, obviously, you know, that doesn't happen by accident. So you brought up like a couple of like your, your habits already, but what are like one or two like habits or, or routines or things that you've done throughout your life that have allowed you or have made the biggest impact on allowing you to be successful? I mean, I think just having the attitude that I'll never fail is one big one. Um, believe it or not, fitness is huge. I mean, I don't think you can perform and work and be, you know, mentally astute and, and, and physically agile if you don't physically exercise, you know, the old use it or lose it is true. You know, you can rest when you're dead. Motion is lotion. I mean, I believe in all those, you know. I, you know, I'm 61 years old. I'm stronger and more fit now than I was when I was in my 20s, you know. So I think that, look, every time I do a feature in a fitness magazine, they ask me, you know, what it is. It's three things. And they're really simple. Diet, exercise, genetics. And the truth of the matter is you control two out of the three. Right. I mean, genetics is it, it, it's a lottery. Either you're lucky or you're not. But a lot of what you do with diet and exercise can influence, you know, what you were given genetically. And, you know, I think it's super important to have an active, healthy, fun life. You have to stay fit, you know, and I think you need to stay committed. And probably one of the biggest challenges for everybody in life is to realize that perception is reality your perception of anything is your reality and you get to you know influence that you know look at covid you know i mean there are people that are walking out you know doom and gloom and this is horrible and it's the end of the world and then there's people like you know what I got to spend three months with my kids. That would never have happened, you know? So, I mean, you know, make lemonade. You know, when they throw you lemons, make lemonade. Love it. Love it. Great, great advice there. So, you know, you've done so much in your career. What does a day, what does like a day or week look like for you now? Like how much are you still practicing dentistry? How much are you, you have like so many things going on in your life. Like how much are you focusing on each thing? You know, I gotta say like pre COVID post COVID because I'll be honest with you. Pre COVID, I was skating. Like I spent 61 years 
creating a life I love. You know, I work four days a week in my office. You know, I go to the gym every night after work. And then I go to movies or dinners or something with friends. I mean, that was my life. I was as happy as happy could be, really. You know, I took a few vacations a year. You know, I spent time with my family, with my kids. I mean, I was super duper duper happy, you know? And who knew <laughs> that this was all gonna happen? You know, so that was pretty much my life. Now, you know, the first two and a half months, I just sat at home, you know, I, this is my place. I built, I built, uh, my own little Dr. Bill fitness center. There's a, nice. there's my, my, uh, tower of power. I have a whole weight room in my bedroom. I have, you know, all kinds of things. And, you know, it, it like, you know, that's what I did. So from March 13th until May 18th, I literally sat in here and worked and worked out and worked and worked out and that was that. You know, since May 18th, we've been back in the practice, challenging, you know, as a dentist, I mean, I have to wear so much equipment. I, I look like Darth Vader going to work. It's, it's crazy, you know, with this big old mask and this and that and the other thing. But you know what? You do what you gotta do and I'm doing it. And, you know, I just got the numbers back for June and we're right back where we were pre-COVID for production and everything. So, I mean, we're doing it, you know, um, but not easy. Um, so, you know, my days now are different. I mean, I'm still not going out. I'm being, you know, very cautious about that. I, I go to work when I'm at work, I'm covered up, you know, from head to toe. Uh, and then I come home and I hang out. Um, you know, socially, the only thing I've really done are, like hikes and, you know, kinds of things outside where, you know, I, w I wouldn't do anything with groups or anything like that. And, and I haven't been going out to restaurants at all. Uh, I don't cook, but um, I, uh, creation saved my life. I, I go every week I go to creation and I pick up my whole order for the week. And uh, that's what I have. All my meals are uh, creations. So. Nice. Nice. That's a uh, delivery service. Yeah, no, I go pick it up. It's awesome. Okay. Love it. So, like you said, kind of, uh, you know, it's been the joke with a lot of people I've been talking with lately. It's like, you know, well, pre-COVID this, but, you know, post-COVID, um, just a little bit different. So, you know, just like any of us, you know, we're all, all impacted by it. Um, so, you know, regardless, there's still a lot of things that you've, again, accomplished in your life. And I think, you know, one of the keys to that obviously is discipline and focus and being able to avoid distractions. So I think a lot of people, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say myself included at times, you know, get distracted and, from their goal uh, with so many other temptations out there. So you are someone who has focused on dentistry and one thing doing it really well your entire career. So in today's day and age with so many distractions out there, social media, people saying this and that, how do you remain focused and avoid distractions to be productive and disciplined? I think that it's really important to have a very close group of friends. Um, I, I'm actually in three different mastermind groups. And I think that that really helps. And, and I'll explain why. A mastermind group is a group of people who meet on a regular basis 
and discuss, it could be about family, it could be about business, it could be about what, whatever, but you know, I have three different ones and they're all a little bit different. One is kind of an investor group. One is more personal about, you know, my, my life in general. And the other one is really focused on dentistry. And the nice thing about being in a group like that is you do hear a lot of noise out there on social media. And, you know, look, if my brother says, you know, you're being a jerk, that means a lot more than if some random person sends me a DM on Instagram saying you're a jerk, right? Like I'm not even going to read it. I'll just delete it. So having a group of your peers who you respect, who know you, is, is incredibly powerful, especially when you need to make big decisions in life, whether it's, it's family decisions or business decisions or whatnot. So, you know, I highly recommend mastermind groups. It, it, it's really phenomenal. But that, for me, kind of keeps me in check. It also helps me see my blind spots. I mean, we all have blind spots. And you need to have a really close, good friend who knows you that can point that out to you and where you'll actually accept it as, yeah, you're right, you know? So when you ask me, how do I do it? It's really my mastermind groups is where I get so much of my, you know, feedback and direction from. Accountability and support. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a big one. I didn't mention accountability is, you know, when you say that you're going to do something, they hold you accountable, which, which is powerful as well. Absolutely. Accountability totally can resonate with that. So, you know, again, with the future being a little bit unknown um, in, in the immediate future here, given COVID, but, you know, what's next for you or, or what do you anticipate still doing or wanting to do in your life or in your career? I mean, my goal is to practice dentistry as long as I physically can. You know, I have no reason to retire. I love doing what I do. Um, I'm launching a new whitening product next year, which uh, I hope will be uh, successful. I'm working with, um, with a really great partner on it. So that, that's exciting. You know, as soon as we're back up in production, you know, I'll be back on the doctors. I love doing TV and stuff. That's, that's fun to do. And then, you know, just being a dad and watching my kids grow. They, my twins graduated college this year. Uh, my older daughter is doing research and, you know, I, I love hanging out with them and my family. So, yeah, and I look forward to when I can socialize with my friends big time. <laughs> As I think we all can. But, you know, clearly life, your life is driven by passion. Like you said, you had a lot of success, but still just absolutely love dentistry and, and you know, all, all those things. All right. So two final questions. The first one is where can people find out more about you? I am probably one of the only people that has close to a million followers on Instagram that actually answers my DMs. So if you send me a DM, I promise I will answer. Uh, you can also find out more about me on Instagram and at my website, which is everything is at Dr. Bill Dorfman. So um, my website's Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dot com. Um, Instagram is Dr. Bill Dorfman. Um, so all over that. Um, 
Another thing that I started uh, this year is a podcast where I talk a lot about me and my, my, my guests. Uh, it's called Meet the Mentor. It's awesome. Um, I've been able to interview some amazing people like Mark Wahlberg and Anthony Hopkins and Kathy Bates and Apollo Ono and Paula Abdul and, and on and on and on and on and on. Uh, so just go to um, the podcast um, store and, and find Meet the Mentor. And um, yeah, I'm pretty, uh, pretty easy to find. Love it. And we will definitely link all of those things in the show notes. And then last question I always like to, to, to finish on this one is, you know, let's say it's the, it's the end of your life. You've done everything that you've wanted to do. When it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? Um, I think that if any of us leave this world without having made it better, I would say shame on you. So I would hope that people say we're better because he was here. Mm. Powerful words. All right. Love it. Appreciate your time so much today, Dr. Bill, for sharing your story overcoming the challenges to become the success you become today. And I know I personally had a lot of takeaways. And I'm sure others will as well. Thanks again for your time. All right. Thank you.